Well, hey, friend, we're going to talk about the best translation of the Bible, which, of course, is the ESV. Hey, friend, welcome back to the Love Your Bible podcast. Hey, I was only kidding about the ESV being the best translation of the Bible. It is my favorite, uh, but I'm going to argue there's really not a best translation of the Bible. You're going to see there is a lot of really good translations, and what I'm going to do is help you understand the differences between all these different Bible translations, how translation happens, uh, sort of two of the different theories that uh, Bible translation falls under, and hopefully the goal of this is for you to see there's actually a lot of really good translations, and what you need to do is not just read one, but read a few of them, because they're all going to be beneficial to your soul. Well, hey, I want to start by talking to my 20-year-old self. So when I was in college, um, of course, I'm a new believer, and uh, in college, I thought I knew a lot more than I did, and one of the things I thought I knew was everything there was to do about Bible translation. I had the ESV. It was, of course, the best because, well, John Piper read it, so it has to be the best. If he is reading it, so did like Al Mohler and like all these different guys, like, hey, I'm definitely reading the ESV because that's what Southern Seminary does. That's what all these smart guys that I know. And I remember picking up a copy of the Message Bible and I was offended because on the front cover, it says by Eugene Peterson. And I thought, wow, like talk about a guy who's got some ego. Like there is somebody who actually claimed they wrote a version of the Bible. And I thought to myself, you can't say you wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible. Like there is one author. His name is God, not Eugene Peterson. So right off the bat, I thought the message has to be the worst translation in the history of the world. And some of you might still think that. Um, But, you know, years later, when you get away from your 20-year-old self that thinks they know everything, and you begin to sort of see the world a little bit different. You grow in wisdom, growing grow in grace, hopefully um, develop a little more humility. I read a book by Eugene Peterson, and it was called The Pastor. And it's absolutely one of my favorite books that I've ever read. It's really his memoirs, um, just about his life and ministry. And that guy lived a giant life. He had a really great ministry. Just a guy that put his head down and did good work in a local church. And um, just the Lord's kindness and favor uh, allowed him to be found out by a lot of people. And so I want to tell you the story of the message translation because it kind of blew my mind. So here he is. He's in like Detroit. And he's doing Bible studies with these guys who work on like the assembly line for Ford. They're mechanics. They're blue collar guys. Uh, they're, they're going to work. They're probably hitting the bar. And then they're coming to this Bible study, this men's Bible study Eugene Peterson's doing. And he's breaking out like the King James Version of the Bible, and these guys are just not understanding uh, the Scripture. Now, the thing about Eugene Peterson, he is a Greek and Hebrew scholar. So he decides to translate whatever Scripture they're going to read that night. He decides to translate it from the Greek and from the Hebrew to put it into their language, the language of these factory workers, these mechanics, and these guys who are watching a lot of football and coming in and don't know anything about the Bible. So he translates it into a really street, gritty language that, that they can hopefully get. And what happened is this Bible study exploded because these guys, they're reading the word 
in a way they hadn't read it before. They're reading it where it seems to be like they would speak, like they would interact. And so he just started to do that. So every Bible study, he would translate another section of the scripture into more of a street language. And so doing that year after year, eventually someone found out about this and asked him, hey, we need to publish this. So that became the message Bible. So here I am, a 20-year-old, thinking, how dare this guy try to make some money, try to put his name on the Bible, and he probably has no good motives. And then I actually read his story, and I thought, you know what? That's a pretty good reason to come up with a Bible translation. Now, the message has its issues because, as we're going to see, it is a paraphrase translation. It is not um, what we're going to say more of the um, well, I guess the better translations, uh, where you're trying to really stay true to the Greek and Hebrew language, Eugene Peterson is trying to paraphrase what the text is saying and bringing it into um, a modern day text. So before we get into uh, the message Bible, but I just want to say, hey, I was very critical. Now I get what he was doing. And on occasions, I will go to the message more like a commentary to try to untangle maybe some verses that I'm not quite getting from my ESV Bible. So uh, let's talk about Bible translations, because this is one of the questions I get asked a lot. Hey, Corey, what's the best translation? Um, Or another one I get is, hey, Corey, what's like the most literal translation? And when somebody says, what's the most literal translation, they're asking, okay, tell me the translations that's closest to the Greek and Hebrew language. Because when I read my Bible, I want to actually be reading like the Greek and the Hebrew. I don't want this fluffy, try to bring it down to the lower shelf. No, I want to do the hard work. I want a literal translation of the Bible. I want to read the words Paul wrote. And we're going to say that's really not a good definition of the Bible. There really isn't a literal translation of the Bible. Um, and, and when you think about, okay, what's the most literal? Well, something can be very literal, but it can make no sense at all. And it's going to be easy for us to kind of understand that if we just think about um, another language, okay? So think about, um, for instance, we m- most of us probably know at least some Spanish. So let's say we had a Spanish letter uh, from a friend, and we thought, you know what? I want the literal version of this. So let's just think of a Spanish phrase that probably all of us know, um, como se llama, right? So that means, as you probably know, what's your name? So if you have any Spanish at all, you know, uh, como se llama, it means what is your name? You're asking that question. But if you translate that literally, it actually means how yourself call. Well, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like nobody's going to go and say that. Um, So whenever I'm in Nicaragua and I'm trying to learn a little Spanish, I've got Yuri, my awesome translator. He's always trying to tell me like, hey, here's what this means. And I'm like, well, well, actually it means this, but (laughs) that's not what you're saying. You're saying this. So when you think about a literal translation of the Bible, um, what we're doing is a lot of times you have to take idioms from Greek and Hebrew. Um, It doesn't really make sense literally in English. So translators, they have to make decisions. They have to decide. There's always interpretation that comes with translation. They have to interpret, okay, here's the words in 
Hebrew and in Greek. Now we have to interpret what do they mean in English because you're not going to translate it how calls yourself. You're going to translate it uh, what's your name. So that's going to be helpful to think about Bible translation because it's not, you can't just take like the Hebrew language and then word for word translate it because it's not going to make sense. You can't take uh, Greek and translate it word for word because it's not going to make sense. So there has to be um, interpretation. There has to be a translation that occurs. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what are these two different versions of translating. So when it comes to um, your English Bibles, um, so it, it, it's helpful to know that the Bible has actually been translated um, kind of a lot through the years. So the first really like translation would be the Septuagint. So you've got this Hebrew scripture um, that's translated um, into Greek uh, so that the Jews living in uh, Rome and different places who only speak Greek, uh, they could read their Old Testament. And you have the Vulgate, uh, which is kind of that second translation um, that comes of the Bible, and that is, of course, taking it into Latin. So now we're taking the Bible into Latin. And then you have the first English. You have John Wycliffe, who's doing it like by hand, handwriting it out. And then later on, uh, William Tyndale uh, is translating, um, and he goes from the Greek, translates it into uh, English in uh, 1526. And so this is actually uh, the first printed Bible. So the Bible gets printed, and then, of course, you have the King James Version, 1600s, and you just have Bible translation kind of goes from there. Um, So side note, we're going to talk about the King James Version only next week because there's this huge controversy you've probably talked to friends who say hey really the only real version of the bible is the king james um you know those people maybe you're in that camp you think the only real version of the bible is the king james so we're gonna talk about the next week what is the controversy between the king james only but for now we're going to stick to just um, a general overview on bible translation so here's the big thing you need to learn from this podcast episode okay there are two different uh, theories when it comes to translating the bible okay so every translation is going to fit into one of these camps or be closer or farther away to one of these camps okay so the first one is formal equivalence and the second one is functional or dynamic equivalence So I want to talk about these two words because it's going to help you understand the difference between Bible translation. Okay, so formal equivalence. Now, when we talk about equivalence, we're talking about, okay, you have a a Greek language and you're trying to bring it into an English language. So you're trying to make it equivalent. You're trying to um, communicate what the Greek actually says. So every translation is trying to do that. They're just doing it in different ways. So a formal equivalence, If you think about that word literal, this is where people get a literal translation, okay? Even though literal is kind of not the best word to use because it sounds like a literal is always the best. Like a literal translation, well, of course I want that one because it's literal, but actually literal cannot always mean uh, the right thing. So we don't want to always do that. Like for instance, we have idioms, right? Even in English, Um, if, if I ask the question, are you pulling my leg? You know what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm saying, are you telling me a joke? Okay. Imagine translating that into some other language and you say, hey, Corey, ask if you're pulling his leg. 
And it's like, what are you, are you pulling his ankle? Like he pulling his knee? What doesn't make sense literally to say you're pulling my leg because English has a lot of idioms. The same thing with Greek, the same thing with Hebrew. It's not always good to translate it kind of literally word for word because it's just not going to make sense. So what are we talking about when we talk about formal equivalence? Well, formal equivalence, it's trying to stay true to the form of the actual Greek and Hebrew language, the form, the structure, the syntax. So it's going to be a lot more concerned with kind of bringing it, okay, the same form, the same literary style, uh, bringing that into English language. So an example sort of in the extreme of formal equivalence would be like the NASB, right? The New American Standard Bible. Um, It's very wooden. It's capturing exactly kind of how the Greek was written, the Hebrew is written. Um, The problem is it's kind of hard to read. Like if you read the NASB out loud, um, sometimes it's really hard to read out loud because no one really speaks this way. It's taking that form of the Greek and Hebrew that that might not be the best in English. Um, so if you move off just a little bit of formal equivalence, um, some other examples would be the King James Version of the Bible would be a formal equivalence. Um, and also the ESV would be a version of formal equivalence, but it would be a little bit um, to the right of it. It would be a little bit we're kind of getting into a mixture of formal but also functional. So the ESV is, is working hard to preserve the form of the original language, but also recognizing, hey, there's some idioms, there's some changes that we need to make because it's just not going to make sense um, in... English if you just translate it exactly uh, how it is. So um, then you have functional, okay, and that's really um, you're trying to make it function better in English. So you're not really concerned about the form of exactly a sentence order, um, but you're worried about, okay, how does it function in English? What's being said? And then how do we bring it in English so that it makes sense? So an example of this functional Um, equivalents would be the NLT, the New Living Translation. And so that would be kind of to the to, to the more the far left uh, would be of this functional. And so uh, the concern is really clarity of English expression, um, where, say, formal is more the correspondence to form of the original language. So one's concerned more about form, one's concerned more about clarity. Um, so you have the functional is more of what we call a thought for thought, where um, the formal is more of a word for word. So that's kind of that difference in those translations. So New Living Translation. Now, we have kind of in the middle there, um, it would be like the NIV version of the Bible. Now, I used to like poke fun at the NIV, like, oh, this is the non-inspired version, right? Because if you're um, like, if you're an ESV guy, it's like elected saints, and then you have the NIV, the non-inspired version. But that's not true. The NIV is actually a very, very good translation. It sets right neatly kind of in the middle between formal and functional. Um, it's a really good Bible, especially like the uh, 1984 version of it. That's my favorite one. So if you if you have a copy and you've got that that one, boom, you're like really good to go. And uh, it's actually the most popular Bible translation in English uh, in the world right now. So uh, yeah, go NIV. Um, So you have these different uh, translations, and I'm actually going to put a chart up uh, for you guys, um, like on social media that uh, you can just go to like, 
Instagram or something. <laughs> Instagram like every Thursday. That's about it. Uh, but I'll put the little chart uh, because I'm, I've got all sorts of resources here. I'll put some links to the show notes. There's a really good um, essay on the Gospel Coalition about Bible translation that kind of goes into it even more than depth that I am. I've also got a book in my hand called 40 Questions, Interpreting the Bible by Dr. Plummer. A fantastic book. I'll put links in the show notes for this as well. Um, but that there we have like these differences in Bible translation. So the main thing you want to know is there is formal translations. So you kind of have um, NASB would be like the extreme version. Then you have like the KJV and then you have like the ESV. Okay. And then you have um, sort of these extreme versions of functional would be like NLT. Um, so that's trying to capture like more of the thought for thought. Now, even to the left of that, you would have the message, which I would say is not really functional. I think that's more of a paraphrase. So it's kind of its own thing. It's paraphrasing the Bible. It's not really doing like thought for thought. It's doing big, big chunks. It's more of a commentary on the Bible in my mind than like an actual translation. And it's just like one guy. Um, All the other modern translations that you'll see, um, what they have is they have a whole team of scholars that are all working to translate the Bible. So like NIV, um, also uh, the CSB is a really good example that fits kind of neatly in that NIV world. Um, And that would be the Christian Standard Bible. And that's a really good translation. Um, So it's more that in-between functional and formal. So the question is, which Bible do you actually need to read? Like, what's the best Bible for you? Well, hopefully, as you've kind of listened, like, oh, there's not one that's like right and one that's wrong. It's just a different philosophy. And one is bringing Greek and Hebrew to me in a different way. One is trying to really capture thought for thought. They're trying to translate those idioms. They're trying to bring in more clarity. And those are going to be more like the NIV, um, the CSB, uh, even the New Living Translation. They're trying to do that for me to really kind of clarify what's happening And then we kind of have more of these word for word that are really trying to stay true to the form of the actual language. And so those are going to be more of the ESV or the KJV or um, even the NASB kind of in the the extreme version of that. So I see these different translations and they're all kind of trying to do a different thing. So here's the good news. As a person who knows English, because you're listening to this podcast, um, you have a lot of really good translations of the Bible. So what I would say is you need to read a variety of translations because there is no one that's right and there is no one that is absolutely wrong. Like they all provide good stuff and they, now there are a few, like there's like the Jehovah's Witness version of the Bible. Like that one's just absolutely bonkers. Denies the deity of Christ. Like you need to throw that one out. Don't get like, the, I think it's like the New World Translation or something. Um, but yeah, don't do that. one but all the other ones like there's some good there's some pros and some cons um, and you need to know those and what I would say is in your Bible reading just like your morning reading, you're just getting through chunks of scripture. Man, I think like an NIV is a really good version of the Bible or the CSB is a really good version of the Bible because you're, it's going to read clearly. It's going to flow very well. Um, I think the ESV does a pretty good job of this too, but not quite as good as like the NIV. Um, and then when you're like studying, like, man, I'm going to take these two sentences and I'm going to really study them. Then maybe you want to grab your NASB because you can kind of see the woodenness of the language um, or you grab 
the ESV. Okay, I'm kind of more true to like the form and the literary style, and I can see some things that are happening um, in the text. So it's really kind of what you're doing. And so I would suggest, hey, read a version of the Bible, listen to a version of the Bible, study a version of the Bible. And a lot of times what you can do is you can actually, like in my sermon prep, I'll pull up like three or four different versions of the Bible side by side. And as you read, you'll see where they're different. And wherever they're different, you know, oh, there's something in the Greek, there's something in the Hebrew that's a little hard to translate, a little hard to understand. So reading a few different ones, you can kind of see those issues and then you can further look in a commentary or some other maybe footnotes in your study Bible. By the way, the ESV Study Bible is fantastic. I can't recommend the ESV Study Bible enough. I get asked that question a lot too, especially around Christmas time. Hey, I need to buy my husband a study Bible or my teen a study Bible. The ESV Study Bible is my favorite. Um, absolutely love it. So I would get that um, as just a really good study Bible. There's tons of essays in it. There's a lot of good information. So um, I'll actually link that in the show notes too, the ESV Study Bible. Um, but here's here's the thing. I don't want you to look at a bunch of different translations and see that they're all different and distrust your Bible. Like, I don't even think, oh man, I can never know what God actually said because all these are different. No, they're all communicating what God has said, but they're bringing it from one language into another, which always requires interpretation. It always requires a little bit of a change in the language because you can't take one language and bring it into another and have no differences whatsoever. But the good news is we have a lot of good translations. We have a lot of good scholars that have done a lot of work to bring us really good Bible translations. So what I hope is that in this episode, what you've seen and learned is mainly, oh, the differences, okay? There is formal, which sticks more to the form of the language. It's more of that word for word. And there is functional. It's bringing more of the clarity and the thought for thought to you. And guess what? Both of those are really beneficial. So I want you to be able to glean from various translations so that God can speak to you and you can read the word in a really dynamic way, whether you're studying, reading, listening, jogging. Um, Don't just have one translation and stick with it and think all the others are bad. No, that's not true. All the others have their pros and cons too. And enjoy the variety of Bible translation because we really are lucky to have so many awesome Bible translations. Um, So I hope this episode has helped you learn a little bit about Bible translation. And hey, even though I think the Message Bible is not the best translation, I would say it's more of a paraphrase, more of a commentary. Guess what? Every once in a while, I go to it when I get really hung up and I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's a spin on it. So I'll even, so I'm telling my 20-year-old self, hey, you used to despise Eugene Peterson. Now I see he's actually a really great dude, awesome pastor, had some really great motivations, though I don't think it's the best Bible like to read. I think it's a really good resource to have on your shelf. Um, so if you ask me, okay, Corey, if I could have like three Bibles that I look for, what would I get? I would say, hey, grab the ESV, the NIV, and the NLT. And those will be three really great translations to look at, to study when you're just reading, maybe go to the NLT, uh, or maybe when you're just listening, go to the NLT, when you're reading, go to the NIV, and when you're studying, go to the um, English Standard Version, the ESV. Hey, that's my thoughts. I do love the ESV. It is the one I go to the most. I've got the most copies of it. It's kind of my go-to default. I preach from that. I read from that mainly, but I also enjoy and love these other translations, and I think you should. 
should too. Hey, hopefully today this little uh, rant about Bible translations has helped you see, oh, we got a lot of good translations, and rather than arguing about which one's the best, pick one up and actually read it and enjoy it because I want you to love your Bible because when you love your Bible, you will love God, serve people, and live a life that matters. Hey, next Thursday, we're going to deal with the King James only controversy because there are people, and you might be one of them, who believe, you know what? There's really one inspired Bible, and it is the King James Version. Why do people say that? What's the argument? What's behind all that? We're going to dig into that next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll see you next Thursday.